This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome, beloveds of God. I have been looking forward to talking with and learning from today's guest for quite a while now. With me today is Sarah Haggerty. Sarah is a wise woman who loves deep and wide. She is a lover of words and a deep-hearted lover of God. I'm going to read her bio. It says, Sarah is a wife to Nate and a mother of seven whose arms stretched wide across the expanse between the United States and Africa. After almost a decade of Christian life, she was introduced to pain and perplexity and ultimately intimacy with Jesus. God met her and moved her when life stopped working for her. And out of the overflow of this perplexity came her writing, both on her blog and in her books. Every bitter thing is sweet, and unseen, the gift of being hidden in a world that loves to be noticed, and a door, a simple practice for experiencing God in the middle minutes of your day. Sarah, I'm so happy and I'm so honored to have you on the podcast today because I love your heart. I love your walk with God. I love your way with words, and they express the deep things of eternity that slip into the everyday moments. So friends listening, we'll put Sarah's works and her blog and et cetera on uh, the show notes. And I want to say, do yourself a favor and dive in. Oh, that's sweet of you. This is a total treat for me. I feel like I'm getting to chat with my mentor. Oh, I love that. <laughs> no, we've never chatted before. But I you've taught that. me so much through your book. So it's, you're probably reading some of your own words in mine because I just have been so blessed by your ministry. Thank you. That's a big yay for me. Um, you share a lot of stories, and we learn so much by hearing other people's stories of their lives with God. They are ongoing and messy mm -hmm. and marvelous and mundane. And the kingdom of God is found in our dailies. And I don't think anybody writes about that more powerfully or winsomely than you. Mm -hmm. So I could have pulled a quote from any of your books and I feel like I could have just opened up a page, honestly. So you can, you can hear my exuberance, everybody listening. <laughs> but what I, I want to read a little paragraph from your latest book, Adore. This is what you write. Adoration takes my eyes off what I'm not and puts them on who he is at the very moment I decide I'm distasteful. Adoration beginning with one single minute, is where my grit meets his beauty. It's where the still, rough, and hardened places of my everyday living meet his person. We all share the universal ache of wanting a wildly alive life in God and the challenge of reconciling it with hours spent doing the laundry, caring for a sick parent, and filing our taxes. Adoration infuses God into those middle minutes of paperwork and commutes and chopping onions for dinner. It invites the wild God into family rooms and kitchens, our interior spaces otherwise untouched by the divine. You can't receive God's tender, animated eyes on you in the drudgery and not revive. 
adoration resuscitates the minutes we ignore and enables us to see God within our reach at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon. Mm. So good. Mm. So, Sarah, some of the people listening may not be familiar with you or your writings, and um, I really want to toss it to you. Would you share some of your story with Jesus and um, how you find him in the middle moments or share more about the pain and perplexity that led you to find him, that led to intimacy with him? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I think the older I get, the more I realize we all have similar hues in our stories. They, there's yes. a lot of overlap. So I, my, in my 20s, like I'm finding that it is the story for many people in their 20s, I think I was just wide-eyed and very expectant yes. that God was going to do something big and powerful through my life, that I was going to change the world for God. I was a relatively new believer and um, had a lot of like fleshly zeal and a little bit of God. <laughs> So I just, I, I worked really hard for God. I, I saw my race for God as a race on a treadmill that I would just kind of ever so often turn up and run faster and harder. And uh, shortly after I was married, my husband and I um, really just realized that we were sandpaper for each other. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, I know that's sort of similar to your and John's story. We just, it, marriage wasn't beautiful on us. It was, it was kind of a hot mess, and we didn't really have a grid for that. And at the same time, then over a period of years, we walked through very unexpected infertility. Uh, my dad got cancer and passed away. It Ugh. just was, a, it was a stretch of about seven years where all the dreams that I had for my late 20s and 30s really became just unraveled. And it was in that time um, that I started to see that the craving and hunger I had for God wouldn't be met by the expression of it in powerful outward ministry, but was mm. actually going to be met in my own personal obscurity and pain and questions and insecurity. It's easier for me to say now because that was, you know, 20 years ago. But I really... As I look back, it was like this sweet invitation to intimacy that the Lord was giving uh, me through the unexpected things in my life, the delays, the infertility, the pain in my marriage. You know, the intimacy, the invitation to intimacy came in the way that I absolutely didn't want it. But I started to see there, wait, he's kind and he's gentle and he's not frustrated with me not being this ministry genius leading all these people to the Lord. He's actually finding me and I'm finding him when I'm not doing a whole lot for him or his kingdom. That is so beautiful and so encouraging. And I think we can relate to that. There's, there's not a lot of people out there speaking to stadiums, you know, and I love your phrase, the personal obscurity mm -hmm. that he meets us in, in that, in the hiddenness. It's true. That's where he does his best work in the secret, hiding places in the depth of our hearts when out of our hunger and generally out of our pain, yeah, we seek him. I, I think it's, is it Matthew 4 or Matthew 6 that calls him the father that sees in secret? Oh, I love that. And I, I love it. It's so not what I believed when I first started following God. And I, I, you know, I don't know that I had visions of stadium so much as I really, I had such a deep heart for evangelism. Yes. And I think I thought the more people I could lead to the Lord, 
the more pleased he was with me. And really, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, that was easier to say than really underneath it all, the more pleased I was with myself. And there's right, stuff, to have it be validating, validating your walk with, yeah. And there's something about when we just, when we're weak and we mess up and we're at the end of ourselves, that when we start to see that God is so tender there, yes, our person gets changed. And that was in my 20s and 30s, but I'll say, you know, in my mid-40s, I'm, I'm actually doing it all over again. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> It's a gloriously <laughs> circular life. <laughs> it is. And I, just, I, I love the analogy of, um, of sheep grazing in the hills of Jerusalem where they would go around. They go around the hill, but they're actually climbing up, but ever so slowly. But it looks like they're just going in circles, but they're actually moving upwards. And I feel like it's that. Like we're not done, but he does this deeper move, a deeper cut, a deeper healing and and that's our life with God. Yeah, I, I actually hadn't heard that before about sheep, but it just does make sense. I'm thinking with 2020 is so fresh, and I feel like it wasn't so much 2020, but just the pressure of the world that revealed a lot of little fractures in my heart that I think went unidentified. Yeah, you weren't alone in that. Yeah, me and everybody else on the planet. And one of the things that has been sweet is looking back and going, okay, the pressure is probably equally as intense as it was in my late 20s. Uh huh. But I, I know the path to get to the connection with God where I actually like feel his eyes on me and I see his eyes. I've been here before. So it's a road I can walk again. Now, it doesn't that doesn't make the pain go away, but it just does feel like, oh, this is a path that's been laid before. Like I can walk. Yeah. this. Yeah. And does it does it um, take the fear out of the pain a little bit? Maybe to some degree, I you know, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the fear dissipates quicker. I still feel like I'm facing the same. My my quick instant response is still often fear and anxiety, but instead of maybe weeks there, it's days yeah. or hours. Yeah, that's good. That's good, and I think it's encouraging. I mean, to say and to say it out loud that um, we're not done. The places that we have visited and, and experienced healing and the intimacy with Jesus, that there are times when we circle back. In fact, I kind of like those times as much as I mm. want to be done. And, and I'll go, oh, man, are you kidding me? We're, I'm we still can't be here. back here again. <laughs> How is this? Did it not count those years or those tears? But it does drive me to his feet. It really does. You know, and I just, it's... We've been, we have four of our seven children are adopted. And so we are on an ever ongoing journey of healing trauma. Yes. And I think we, in in our youth, we thought it would sort of be a once and done, sort of like we thought about our own hearts. Like once I process my story, then it's upward and onward instead of maybe that cyclical nature, you know, slowly upward and onward, almost you can't detect it, but it's happening. Yeah. And as we, we've recently come out of another harder stretch, and the last one was three years ago, and initially I'm like, oh, no, we're back here again. Like, I thought we were through that, God. But then somewhere in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, but it's never as sweet as it is here. Mm. You know, there, there's, there are these moments with God where I'm like, you're so near, and you're the 
only thing really carrying me. And I actually wouldn't wish this away because of how I feel held like a little girl here that I oftentimes don't feel when I'm strong. When I'm strong, I don't climb into his lap. When I feel like I'm on top of things, I'm not taking the time that I need to rest in him and hear his words over me. I'm kind of hearing my own words over me. So there is this, oh, I'm here again. And then the, oh, but it's actually, you did you did promise us suffering. And you did say we'd have trouble in this world. And you also gave us people telling us that they could there could be joy here. Consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. It's mm-hmm. in James. Yeah. The first I was in this morning was do not let your hearts be troubled. Hmm. Believe in God, believe also in me. And I was really struck with the do not let that I have a choice to So make. interesting. Yeah. So it was really good to go, okay, what am I troubled about? And, and just <laughs> list it, lay it at his feet and then believe for his goodness. But it is, it does push you in. Sarah, it reminds me of a, a time with my mom um, after she passed in one of her journals, a piece of paper fell out and it was a note notice that she had put in her church bulletin. And she wrote that I recently received an unexpected diagnosis and it has been the most beautiful and holy experience of my life and I will forever thank God for it. Yeah, it was a wow. It was it was it was holy. And she just got her diagnosis and she went to heaven 4 months later. Wow. But those 4 months she counted as the most glorious of her entire life. For what it propelled her into with Christ, for what she knew and diving in and and the, and then the stuff of the world just falling away. The her thighs being not what she wanted them to look mm-hmm. like or, you know, this, the simple things or the berating things or I'm not kind enough person. We all have our stuff. But, but that God uses the suffering to reveal who he really is and who we really are to him. Mm-hmm. His goodness, his availability, it's, it's really stunning. Yeah, and I think it makes life simple. I mean, in some ways, and there are the complicated elements of pain where we're processing our own hearts and why is this coming up here and stuff in marriage and in friendships. But I think in some ways, life gets a lot simpler when we're struggling, like in terms of us and him. I was thinking about just a couple weeks ago because we have been in a harder stretch as we've been walking through the healing path for our, our older kids. And I walked in through my bedroom and I saw this pile of returns that needed to be made because I I don't shop in stores. I shop online because it's just easier. But then I'm ending up returning like 99.9% of what I got. So there's like this pile of returns on my chair, clothes that needed to get put away, laundry that was almost like double the size of the laundry bin. I look at my bathroom sink and it's like makeup, but then kids' toys and leftover wrappers. I mean, all the things that I feel like in my 30s I would have judged me for because I'm a pretty ordered person, but like there's just no way to get to that because life is intense and it's like we're just addressing what's right in front of us. And in that moment, I just felt the pleasure of God. Like I felt this like whisper of God, like this is good. This is actually 
you're at your most resting place here because you can walk through this and not shame yourself or hate yourself that you've, you know, that you've made such a mess of your life, which is sort of the lie that I would hear in my head when there were messes in my house 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, so in that moment, it was like, oh, this is simple, actually. Like the simplest of love comes out when we walk through suffering because it is just me and Jesus. I'm not actually trying to make my house a Pinterest board. And I'm not actually trying to develop all the systems to have a more ordered life. I'm really just, it's me and Jesus and survival. And in some ways, I think our bodies, not not that we can always live that way, but our bodies were made for times like that where there's three things on your list and it's survive, connect with Jesus, do well with your spouse and your friends or something, you know, it's, it's simple. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. Um, I have so many questions. My first one is, what is what is the age range of your children? So my oldest just graduated last week from high school. Oh, and my wow. youngest is two. <laughs> so There's a spread. They and I are regularly looking at each other. Like we had a kid wake us up in the middle of the night last night, and we're looking at each other in the morning. Like he's all he's getting all gray beard and hair and. We're like, we are too old for this. You know, our 25-year-old <laughs> friends have two-year-olds. <laughs> but we had some surprises. We, our, our last three biological babies are, were all surprises, and they came when we were at an age where most of our friends were putting their kids in school and high school. So. Oh, that's glorious. That's glorious. And wow. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a grandmother five grandchildren and I adore them beyond telling and they get to go home <laughs> man it was, it's really good it's really good they get to go home but it's like okay this is a younger person's game this I know around. that's what we feel like too we we sometimes are like are we grandparenting and grandparenting our kids I think we kind of are <laughs> you are so not you are so not get it in 20 years yeah, yeah. um you said, I, I loved your off the cuff, make it simple, survive the first one, second, connecting with Jesus. Do you have um, daily practices or minute by minute practices that enable you to do that, the ways that you pursue him? I do. I mean, I think they change typically, you know, because I have kids who are changing and growing in se- different seasons all the time. So I feel like I've got a system that works for like a year or rhythm and then it kind of changes I think one of the key things has been, you know, there was a season in my 20s where I was like, I don't want to be tied to a daily quiet time. I'm not defined by my time with the Lord. He loves me even if I don't spend time with him. And I think I needed to walk through that. But in uh-huh. my in this season of life with it as full as our life is with teenagers and toddlers, it has been an absolute lifeline to wake up before they do and just sit with the word. And, and I don't say that in a way. I mean, there's some... Some younger moms who are listening who can't do that because their kids are waking up so, so early. So I don't say that to say God's not looking at me going, yes, you're finally doing this. It's actually just been a lifeline for me. Sometimes even in the mornings, I'll feel like I'm going through my reading the word and the Lord's kind of laughing at me like, we know that this is more for you than it is for me. Like, you just need this system more than I need it from you. But that's been a, that's been a key rhythm. But I also, you know, that the practice of adoration, that um, excerpt you read at the beginning, has been another lifeline for me. And that really is dialoguing with the Lord in the middle of the day. So it's like life is crazy, whether it be activities or it be responsibilities. And I have no no 
window or margin to take a break, but then it's like my heart going, I, I actually have to, to be able to engage and encounter God while I'm doing this and give what God gave me to give. And so it's sometimes just sliding away in my bedroom for five minutes and telling, I mean, adoration for me is the nexus of my raw emotions and God's word. So it might even be just opening up to, if it's the 23rd of the month, it's I'm opening up to Psalm 23 and I'm going, you know, verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I'm bringing my raw emotions and going, I've actually been shepherding myself all day, God. I Mm -hmm. haven't seen you as a shepherd. I've been fully shepherding myself and it's not going well. But your word Mm -hmm. tells me you're my shepherd and that I don't have anything to want because of you. And I don't feel that, but this is who you are. And I do that back and forth, just three or four minutes of here's what I'm feeling, but tethering it to here's what your word says. And there's something about even little minutes that I feel like shifts my heart. I, I, I especially in these times, I mean, I think John wrote about it in his letter in May, Everybody in my life feels like they are in some level of intensity or crisis. I mean, I, yes. I don't know if that's I just attract those people, but I'm talking. No, it's just true. <laughs> it's just true. I mean, friends from college, local friends, friends in different parts of the country. And I think in my mind, I want to have some big answer. But in reality, it's like a minute at a time is what's actually keeping my heart afloat. So that's been one of the key practices for me is like, you know, it might just be three more minutes today that I'm talking to the Lord, but three more minutes is better than no minutes. And tomorrow it could be six. And then the next day, maybe nine. And I'm sort of becoming, the older I get, the more convinced I'm becoming that my life, I actually get changed in minutes, not these big broad strokes. (laughs) I raised my hands like in a yay for that because listen to that again, like rewind and listen to that sentence again. It's re- it's really true. Changed in the minutes, not in the big, broad strokes. Because we look for and love actually the big, broad strokes, yeah. but it's but it's the daily, it's the minute by minute, it's the walking out. I love what you said about tethering your raw emotion to the word mm-hmm. and just, okay, this is what I'm feeling and this is what you said and I, I need you. And I think our culture is saying a lot right now, even the Christian culture, about vulnerability, which I think is a real gift. We need it. We need vulnerability before God, before our spouses and our friendships. But I have found, because I'm a deeply emotional person, that when I go to those places of vulnerability without a tether, it can get really messy and kind Mm. of like a, a, a big bunch of noodles all mixed in where I'm in my head and not really knowing where to go. And so I think that tethering of, for me, adoration, where it's like, I'm not holding back on my emotions. I'm not putting a happy face on what's hard. I'm not pretending. But then I'm also not just staying there. I'm going, but your word is telling me this. And I'm not trying to preach my heart into a better place. I'm actually just saying, I'm going to be a hot mess, but I'm choosing to be a hot mess in God's lap. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to take my vulnerability to to Jesus and his word and let his word actually meet that vulnerability instead of it just being out there kind of freeloading, not knowing what to do. Yes. That's beautiful. I read that you love to stay in a book 
of the scriptures for a very long time. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> what are what are you in now? So this year is first and second Peter. But yeah, a friend of mine, this was actually, a, you know, a girlfriend of mine before we had all these kids. So it's funny now because it looks a lot different. But before each of us had lots of kids, we just said, you know what, let's once a year pick a book of the Bible to study. And she's kind of a resource geek and so am I. And so we spend like a month or two reaching out to people that we trust saying like, what are commentaries you love? What are um, even, I mean, we would ask like, what are poems or songs that you know about this book of the Bible and compile this like massive resource list and then spend a year in that book of the Bible. And it's been great to do it when we both had a lot less kids up until now when we both have a lot of kids to be able to go, he loves it when I inch my way through First Peter, you know, it's like four or five chapters and that's it. Whereas early on, I think we picked like, you know, the Psalms. <laughs> It's for the year. Our books have gotten smaller and smaller, and our expectations of ourselves, the the bar is very low. That feels like a lot of wisdom there. The bar is, the older, I mean, isn't that true? Like, the older you get, don't you feel like the lower your bar is? And the more you actually realize the delight of the Lord in your very low bar. Yeah, there's so much mercy. Oh, my goodness. The expectations that we have are not what he has. No way. So it's been sweet. Like we, and we, and we don't dialogue a ton back and forth about it, but it's nice to know somebody else is doing it at the same time and to just like have a commitment. I mean, I know for myself, if I don't have a plan, I tend to be all over the map. So it just helps me with a plan. And I usually don't even come close to hitting what my plan is. But then that's also a good practice of hitting the end of the year and being like, well, I read like, three of the seven resources that I had listed here and I kind of barely scraped through the book and I'm not even really sure I could give you the full summary (laughs) but God loves that I have this little weak I want to be in your word (laughs) yeah he does love that yeah that's so good it sounds like abandoning the external measurements the world loves to measure us and, and accomplishments in every area oh of my our goodness. life. Everything. How, how, how clean our house is, how quick we are to respond to texts, how efficient we are with our task list, how well-behaved our kids are, everything. Everything. And to go, wait, that isn't God's heart. Mm. He sees much differently. Mm. And then the mercy and the grace come in. And then so does the love for him because it's so much better. He's so much better than that. He's so much better when we're weak. I mean, that's the, that's the oh, place I keep yes. circling. I, you know, I don't know if this is my life and my story or if this is what's coming out of these several years of pressing, but I feel like I am starting to like myself better weak, and I'm also starting to see I can experience and encounter him more when I'm weak. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking... This is top of mind because this is actually a little bit of the next book that I'm working on. But just like two or three weeks ago, we decided to get passports for our whole family. We don't have a trip planned, but we are taking our oldest daughter on a trip for her graduation. It felt easy to kind of disguise that by all of us getting passports. Yes. And I thought I had done the work. I mean, it took me months to like get everybody's paperwork together. And we've got like, you know, early birth country. So I'm having to pull together all these things. I finally have this like plastic file folder. I'm feeling kind of strong. Like I did it. I got all the paperwork. Nate took off work. We have to go in because we're as the parents. We have to both be there. 
I text a friend literally as Nate is getting everybody in the car and I'm like, hey, might there be anything I'm forgetting here? And she was like, oh, and she listed two things that I completely missed on all the paperwork. And so I said to Nate, I'm like, do we do this? You know, and and he's like, well, let's just get in the car and pray. So we, we're driving there. We're praying with the kids. Have mercy, God. I mean, it sounds like a silly thing, praying for passport paperwork. But this is the kind of weakness this that I end life. up. This it's is life. life. And it's the yeah. kind of weakness that I end up despising in myself. Like, I could be on the way to the passport office shaming myself. Like, couldn't you have just texted a friend a week ago? And we get there, and the office is empty, and the woman is benevolent she's like you know what we'll figure out a way around it and she processes all of our passports and afterwards what my takeaway was if I hadn't been weak I wouldn't have seen that God actually really cares about the very small details of my life if I had had my act together and made it all happen then I would have walked away patting myself on the back or subtly like you know posturing a little bit because I feel a little bit stronger But because I was weak, I actually saw, God, you are so gentle with my weakness. And you're so, you love to show up in power when I don't show up in strength. Yes. Amen. That's so good. We can look forward to your next book. It's sometimes easier talked about than live though, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is because those moments are, are every day. They're every day. And he cares about the moments. He's not just in those big, broad movements. He's in the thousands of choices that we have Mm. to make every day. And he sees and he notices and he strengthens us. It's Christ's life in us. It has to be his life in us. Mm. It can't be, I just want to be a good person. Yeah. I'm going to be be more loving because we can't gut it out. (laughs) We can try, but our best efforts. A couple more questions. What what led you to write? Have you always been a writer? Did you journal or what led you to write? You know, I've always been a reader. Um, ah. Reading was just a um, – reading was a an escape for me in a way that I think the Lord really gifted in a time where I needed to escape. And I just – I found myself in stories all the time. Like the strongest memories I have of my childhood are spending – time biking to the local library or reading in this chair in our sunroom by myself. Oh, that's good. So I never thought I would be a writer, but then when we started walking through our infertility, we I actually created a blog. Those were in the days where people were blogging and would have all these links on the side. And I thought, well, if I put a blog up and I link to all these other adoption blogs, then maybe the people in my world who think it's crazy that we're doing this will see there's all these other people who are also doing it. Yes. And yeah. so I just started kind of chronicling our infertility actually and my our adoption and I it was like this part of me was coming alive like I just felt like I think I'm made to do this Mm. and and my husband Nate I mean he's the English major and he was going Sarah this is new and this is something that I think I see God in and So I just kind of started working on a book in secret, never wanting it to be published. In fact, quite the opposite, actually fearing that it would be published because I had enough foresight to know what comes when your name is on a book and there's a little bit of exposure. I mean, just even the jealousy, the envy, the expectation. So I just thought I'm going to be faithful to God and slide this between my mattresses and no one's ever going to read it. And then the Lord put it on my heart, mainly through my husband. And he said, Sarah, I think you're supposed to put this out there. 
And I said, well, I'm going to put out a fleece before God, you know, laughing kind of. That's the thing you say when you're 16, not like when yes. you're 32. And I was like, well, I'm going to put a fleece before God and ask him, if I'm meant to do this, will you? And I asked him a specific thing in the next month. And Nate just laughed at me. He's like, God does not work that way. Good for you. But he was wanting me to just trust him, right? But I was too young in marriage to trust him. <laughs> and and that thing happened. And it was like the Lord just... The Lord opened doors wide and fast. It's sort of an unusual path, and maybe I should even hesitate to share it because I think many authors wish there, this was their path, but I think I honestly was so afraid and insecure to put my writing out there that it was maybe a gift that the Lord opened the doors so wide because I don't know that I would have walked through them if it wasn't so resounding. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then it was a book got published and then it was a good five, six years of internal wrestle and and shame and fear and anxiety. And (laughs) I think it's only been in the past three or four years that I felt like, well, maybe I can do this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You've talked about in your 20s. Is it in your 20s that you became a Christian? Just before. And when I was a teenager, actually through the Ministry of Young Life. Would you say that it was then that you fell in love with Jesus or did that come later? I had initially when I came to know the Lord, I I would come home. I mean, I was like 16, 17, out with my friends who were partying, and I would come home and sit out. We had a swing in the back in our backyard, and I would sit out on that swing at midnight and read the Bible. And I it was like that summer, the next year or so after I came to know the Lord, I remember just being enraptured by him, like having this mm. sense of all the answers of my life are found in this man. And mm. I, so then I would say I had real early inklings of falling in love with God, but it's so interesting. I think this is a story for so many of us. The narrative of the world so quickly swept me up. And, and I mean the narrative of the Christian world that I needed to be stronger, evangelize more, read my Bible more. I mean, it's like that love got sucked away pretty quickly into task. And duty, obligation. So it wasn't until all those years later when we were hitting real marriage strife and uh, walking through infertility and my dad was sick that I started to actually go, I remember those days where I couldn't put my Bible down because I felt so known by God. Mm -hmm. I think that's who he is. And that's where I started to actually kind of rekindle that like, oh, Oh, this is meant for me and God in private. This, there are words that he has for my life that no one else has. There's a parts of me that he sees that nobody else sees. It's true. That's so good. Just a little bit more. How has he come recently? I'm hearing stories that he is coming in the, you know, in the midst of, ah, this is hard. I'm just going to slip away for three minutes and then you meet him. Is that primarily how how he's coming for you these days or you're receiving his personal love notes just for you? You know, yeah, but I will say, I mean, maybe I'll just give you a window into my morning. This morning I was reading, I think it's Psalm 28 and 29. Is it Psalm 29? Maybe the the, the Lord thunders and, and he's coming in the, he, he makes the deer give birth. And, and I was struck by in this season, it feels like he is coming to me in this weird tension of, settling into a very long road, particularly mm. with our big kids as they're mm-hmm. experiencing healing from their trauma. I thought it mm. would, I thought we'd be healed in a year, Stacy. Mm. Like I thought, right. and I think that's just our, our, sometimes our optimistic bent and the desire to not be in pain that we just, 
want it to be over. So I think there's this tension, though, of the Lord inviting me into the long suffering while at the same time, and this is where I tie in what I was reading this morning, being expectant that he could shift in an instant. So it feels to me like that's where he has me, I would say, in the past four or five months is being okay with pain, going on long, being okay with staying in places that are unsettled, being okay with myself when I'm still facing fear and anxiety and I feel like I should be over it already, while at the same time not becoming cynical that God can also come in a flash of lightning. And, and that, to me, feels like a strange place to stay because I want to either believe he's going to come in a flash of lightning and pray all the victorious prayers and declare all the goodness of God, or I want to just sit in pain and not even lift my head to think that God might change something. But I feel like he's been inviting me into the tension of both. Yes, yes. And that's hard. It's that's so holy. hard. I mean, I, I think of the years that I would pray for healing and deliverance for my body. And I just, when we were walking through infertility, and it almost kept me from feeling the pain because I was so committed to praying that God would heal me. And then there were times where I would just stay in the pain the whole time because I felt like, no, God, I know that you invited us. You said in this world we will have trouble. And so I'm going to sit in the pain because I think that's what you're inviting me into. But then it felt awkward to pray for healing, you know. But I just wonder about this tension where we can, maybe as we grow, we can hold both. Which yes. feels really awkward to say it because I'd like one or the other. Because it feels a lot, it feels a lot more concise. It feels a lot more manageable to my mind. But I feel like he's maybe inviting me to stay, to toggle between both. Yeah, that feels like him. That's true. And and that's real. That's holding the reality of what's going on in our life in the reality of who God is and what he could do and not being mad at him for not doing it. Cuz that that I know we bend that way as well. You you could, but you're not, but I trust you and you do work things to good and this is really painful. I need you to meet me in it. And you could, like all, all of it, yeah. all of it at once. This conversation has stirred up a lot in the men and women that are listening. There's a, just so many nuggets of truth here and the journey and the encouragement that it, that it is a journey. There's a lot of wisdom that's been hard won. Mm -hmm. And then that's going to be more in the next 5, 10, 20 years. It's just, it's a good journey. It's mm -hmm. a good journey. And I was just wondering, to close out our time, would you pray for oh, the people that to. are listening? Oh, thanks. Jesus, we ask you for endurance. Hmm. Father, I ask you for endurance for every listener, that we could walk the road that you're giving us, the assignment that you're giving us right now, Jesus and continue to walk it, and continue to walk it in maybe greater human weakness, but greater Holy Spirit strength. Father, I pray for that, for that 1 Corinthians 12 exchange where I come weak and your power is made perfect in me. I pray that for the listeners, that there would even be a sense, God, that the greatest weakness and the greatest limitations and the hardest parts of this road that feel like they're bearing down so heavy on us, Lord, are actually 
the places where you will show up the most. Lord, I ask very practically that even today for every listener, that there would be a moment where they see you, where the where veil gets pulled back and they see you a little more clearly and they sense your nearness, God, and they sense your kindness towards their weakness. Jesus, we ask for the endurance of ones who can walk a little bit longer because we know the eyes that we're going to find on that journey. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And thank you for sharing of your life, your heart, and this time together. Thank you, Stacy. This has been awesome. It's been so good. Bless you, friends. Until next time. Mm-hmm.